0: I've literally hit the streets just selling pinole and I would have a flask with atole in it. I would warm up the milk and I'd put the atole or atole mix in it with sample cups because even a lot of Mexican store owners didn't know what pinole was, but a lot of us could relate with atole. And you can ask a lot of my first customers, they're like, Eddie, I still remember when you walked in with a cup, with a thing of atole and pinole. And that's how it started. And in Chicago, I told you that I did the same thing. I went, I've been down 26. I've been Little Village, Pilsen, Logan Square because that's what we were telling people. And I was even amazed Chicago being a huge Hispanic population two, It's freaking cold as heck. And you guys probably drink a seven months out of the year that you still couldn't find Pinole even in these huge supermarkets. So that's where I built these relations. This is where I got the customers and this is where I got to understand. And like you said, that knowledge of what I learned, just doing, uh, you know face-to-face sale this and showing people and people trying it and telling me the memories it brought you you can't buy that kind of knowledge you know
1: the day i met eddie sandoval founder of pinole blue i thought this man is a hustler i'm your host Simone of moneda moves leon alfaro and you're listening to a season all about funding the future of food today we're talking about pinole a company which started out of a dorm room while Eddie was studying business at Wichita State University. Eddie's family, you see, is from Chihuahua, Mexico. And growing up, he would take trips twice a year to visit and bring home pinole, a nutrient-dense mixture made of roasted ground maize savored by his family for generations. He soon realized his family wasn't the only one that missed having easy access to pinole in the US, but it was also a huge asset to endurance athletes. That's because Pinole is popular among the Taromara, a tribe of Chihuahua who would drink it for energy before running long, and I mean long, hundreds of miles distances, and they've gained a spotlight for winning ultramarathons all over the world. An entrepreneur at heart, Eddie bought half a ton of raw heirloom blue corn in Mexico, drove it back to the border to start production in his parents' garage. That spring semester of 2017, his dorm room, at the time, became the distribution center and headquarters where other blends were developed. After graduating from Wichita State and winning the new venture competition, Eddie pursued Pinole Blue full time. The company now makes drink mixes, protein mixes, cookies, and stone ground tortillas, all made from organic blue corn while donating back to the Taromara community. The company has since been featured in major outlets including Buzzfeed, Remezcla, and Shark Tank Season 13. Today, we're going to talk about Eddie, how the power of storytelling, helped him grow his business, why he's choosing to bootstrap his company and his vision for the future. No te lo perder. You're listening to Moneda Moves, a podcast where we cover the intersection of money and cultura. I'm your host, Leanne Alfaro, a Latina award-winning journalist, producer, and strategist. On this podcast, I highlight Latinos who are building in the world of business our relationships with money, and contributions to the American economy. Here we will increase transparency around our dinero issues and achievements of our community as well as our POC peers to inspire you to pursue your financial poder. Join me weekly during this season as we cover stories with our communities front and center alongside entrepreneurs and innovators. No te lo quieres perder. Hello, Moneda Moves followers, and welcome to another episode of Moneda Moves. This season, we're talking all about consumer packaged goods and food tech companies. So I'm so excited to have my Pinole Blue friend and founder, Eddie Sandoval, with his product Siempre representing... Eddie, let me tell you, I have a couple of packs of tortillas that you sent me. I put them in the freezer. Para que me duren. I
0: told you, that's the secret sauce.
1: So I'm really... I've already tried a few, and you told me, put the other ones in the freezer, and that's exactly what I did, because those babies are perishables. But Eddie, thank you so much for being on the show and and welcome.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, who would have thought, you know, we met miles and miles away and now we're miles and miles mm-hmm. still away, but we're able to do an awesome podcast like this. So thank you for the invite.
1: Yeah, no. And, and we're able to talk about the origin stories of something like Pinole Blue. Uh, I think that it is such a special thing when founders get to work with something every day that they intimately knew so well growing up. Um, And that is the case for you with pinole. You said you'd used to go to Chihuahua twice a year because that's where your family's from and have pinole, the main ingredient which your business operates on today. So could you take us back to those days of eating pinole in Mexico and what role it played in your life back then?
0: Yeah, so uh, just a little background, I guess. My family, both my parents are from Chihuahua. Uh, Chihuahua, uh, but we're from the southern part of the state. It's closer to the Copper Canyon, Barrancas del Cobre. It's bigger and steeper than the Grand Canyon, and a lot of people don't realize that. So it's very mountainous and rural. And my parents grew up on cattle ranches. Uh, migrated to Kansas. Um, I think even for you, being in Chicago, you're probably like, "How do people settle in Kansas?" <laughs> Especially in Raza, right? But um but yeah. Long story short, my parents settled. Uh, in a rural area in Kansas uh, since the eighties. And uh, my sister and I were born and raised in a small town of a thousand called Solomon, Kansas. Oh. Uh the nearest town is literally half an hour away. It was fifteen miles. And I was born in that hospital because our hometown didn't have a hospital. And as you can imagine growing up, um one we didn't we didn't even have Spanish radio. We didn't even have Spanish T V but my family was still as you can say, super Mexican. Uh, Whenever we went down to Mexico to visit family in Chihuahua, my mom would bring back cheese, we'd bring back Chile. And one of the important things we always brought back was pinole. Um, And for the people who have no idea what the heck pinole is, pinole is roasted corn flour something that's been around since the time of the Mesoamericans to the Aztecs, the Mayans, Mm -hmm. they're the ones that discovered that when you roast the corn, you take the moisture out of it and you grind it and it lasts longer. Um, Because as you know, there was no refrigeration or anything back then, but then it got used for a lot of different things. It got used for drink mixes uh, to making a tole champurrado. That's what it's most famous for. And Mm -hmm. even for baking and cooking. And my family being from Northern Mexico, from Chihuahua where, um, the famous Darumara reside, which I know we'll get into. Yeah. Uh, my dad would always bring back Pinole. My dad even knows how to speak Darumara. Like we we're, were raised, uh, well, my, my family was raised right right next to them. And so when my dad, whenever he migrated to the U.S., he would always bring back Pinole. But we would drink it cold with water, especially on hot summer mm. days. Uh, not so much for atole and but uh, we would drink it cold because my dad says there's nothing more refreshing on a hot summer day than a cold cup of pinole.
1: Wow. Yeah, no, and I, I I love that you have that intimate relationship with pinole because I think, I do think that when I asked my mother about it, she's like, oh yeah, I've had pinole for sure. I wasn't exposed to that. And so I I, I realized it is, it has a very specific origin story and you talk about it via your, tic- honestly, that's how I found out about you via TikTok, your TikTok storytelling about the Taurau Maura, which is this uh, tribe uh, in Mexico that relied on their feet to get from point A to point B for a very long time. But that's just a very rudimentary, introductory understanding of what this tribe is. Could you tell us a little bit more about the tarahumara and why an ingredient like pinole was so important to them? Something that's very high density, high, also caloric um, intake as well, uh, for a very active tribe as well.
0: Yeah, so the tarahumara, is their actual name is the rarabori. Um, when the Spanish came over, they changed their name to Taromaras, but Rorabori actually means people of the light feet. Um, as you can imagine, they were, uh, I mean, since then, they, were, they have been known for running long distances. And like I mentioned, Chihuahua, especially the area where they reside, it is very mountainous. Um, I mean, three times bigger than the Grand Canyon and steeper, so... One thing, since they're known for running these long distances, like it's part of their culture. And then one another thing is from running barefoot, they're also running guaraches made out of tires. And one thing they always consume is pinole, because if you think about it, pinole is made from corn that is primarily carbs. So when you're drinking it with water, the water is hydrating you, and the carb settles in your stomach, mm-hmm. and it's providing energy. I know that you're training for a triathlon, so you know how. <laughs> I
1: am, and you're training for a marathon, so I'm not alone here. <laughs> so
0: nutrition is very important, and you know when you're just sweating and burning all that off, it's very important. But it's uh, amazing to see, you know, since the time of Mesoamerica and the Aztecs, that they discovered that drinking this with water and adding spices and stuff it would provide fuel for when they were out on the long days or even working. And corn being a huge staple in todo Mexico, in Mesoamerica, Latin America, um, they, they knew how to make different things with it. And so pinole is, is, was all sustainable. But what I'm trying to say is with the indígenas tarahumaras, um, they got a huge spotlight thanks to the book Born to Run um, that talked about a journalist that went down there to study the tarahumaras when he heard about them. They've even brought them to Colorado to run 100-mile races up in Leadville. And they were beating wow. the top athletes of the world while drinking a with water and even smoking a cigarette <laughs> on top of the mountain. And uh, so so at the same time, the Taromaras have gone through a lot. I mean, you have the, you know, the Spanish came over, started taking over their land, started taking over a lot of their practices, wiped out a lot of them. But they're a community that has been, really been able to stick together and they've been isolated. And, you know, being so deep into the Arrancas del Cobre and Copper Canyon, they've also they've been able to find a way of living, you know, with just running and corn and beans and being sustainable. And so they really stay away from a lot of other people. But uh, what I'm trying to say is running is a big part of their community. I mean, they even play a game with a wooden ball called a Ouija. And they the whole communities get together and they do a race like five on five. And they literally kick the ball these huge like 10 mile laps or 20 mile laps and the first team to do five laps wins so it goes on for 24 hours and even the women have a game wow. where they have a stick with like a hook and they have to get like this wooden ring and then the same thing they're just kind of kicking it along so it's it's huge and especially with Pinola I mean, being uh, a big staple with them and that's where I think a lot of people also learn you know hey running barefoot is good for you and Pinole can be great for you and don't get me wrong. There's been some documentaries now like Lorena Ramirez on Netflix. There's also ESPN 30 mm-hmm. for 30 uh, about the Tarahumaras. Uh, Lorena Ramirez is from the same municipio my family's from. Uh, I've actually met her in life and in, in person. Sorry. And so, so that's a big thing with the Tarahumaras. And that's why even our logo, if you can see since the day I've started, we said we're, I wanted to make it possible that we're going to donate part of our sales directly back to the Tarahumara community because they're an underrepresented community that, um, you know, even like a lot of these spotlights and stuff just talks about them, but they're still living their day-to-day life. They're facing drought. They're facing a lot of other issues. And so we want to find a way uh, for them to help continue their way of life.
1: Yeah. And to have something that's been preserved and and persevered so many years, I think that that's really rare. And I'm curious, so you mentioned your dad speaks the language. You also seem to have met uh, significant members of the Tarahumara. What what has been establishing a relationship like with them and building this company? <clears throat>
0: um, Honestly, I think the biggest blessing of all this is just having family down there because uh, having family down there, it's been making it easier the way we can work with them directly. That way we don't have to go through organization or anything. And the biggest thing with Pinot de Blue is we ask them, what do you need or how can we help? You know, we don't go in there wanting to change their way of life, wanting to tell them, no, you need to do this. So one thing that we did since the day I started, even when we had like no money, was we did a food drive, you know, we would donate food. And then uh, and then COVID hit, and we wanted to see how can we help. And a lot of the women are actually the breadwinners in the family with the tarama, especially with uh, tourism, and they like a lot of arts and crafts. And one thing that I thought mm. about when I was – they were telling me the story with, you know, COVID, there was no tourism, nothing. And so I was just like, Oh, I think where it would be a way is if they made these bracelets. So what we decided to do is we bought all the material, got them to, we we had uh, some Tarahumara women make the bracelets. Then we paid them back. We, but we bought back the bracelets from them at full price and we just donated them uh, to everyone that placed an online order. As you know, with COVID, it was struggling time and we just wanted to do something that could help them continue their way of life make them feel mm-hmm. valuable right and continue them being the breadwinners and while well, us not making money off it or anything just finding a way how can we help and raise their voices so we started with the bracelets um we made a different bracelet and then we did that and then we have another couple projects that were coming up but uh, that's just some of the ways uh, we've been sponsored some of them to uh, for some of their runs but hopefully we can continue building this relation, like I said, where they can continue their way of life. And uh, i told you before, uh, it would be my dream someday that we can bring some of even the female Darumata runners uh, specifically to run in races here in the U.S. Or maybe we host a race down there.
1: Very cool. No, I love this. And, and, and I feel like this feels like very Eddie. Like <laughs> the day that I met you, I remember that you told me about how you decided to distribute your product across the U.S. And I thought it was so intentional because I'd mentioned to you I was I, I told you, I said, oh, you're selling a Mexican product, you know, d- people, if people knew about this in Chicago's Mexican neighborhoods, a little village in Pilsen, they'd love this. And you're like, I was there. You said, I, I've been driving a food truck across the country, visiting different Mexican hotspots and going up to their stores and delivering the product myself. And I was really that really left an impression on me because I think in an era where we're so abetted by technology, I think sometimes we lose physical touch Mm -hmm. with the people that we're trying to connect with. And so I I from my perspective, I think that that's like a very special touch to not only say you have bootstrapped, but to actually say you've been in the communities. Um, especially as something as important where the the material originates for the Taromara and you've been there and you've worked with them, like to also be in the communities that you want to market to, that you want to get closer to. I'm curious, could you talk to us about your decision to do this trip across the country with your food truck, delivering pinole to different Mexican businesses as a way to get it in front of them?
0: Uh, I think that was our best conversation starter for sure. (laughs) When when you were surprised how much I knew about Chicago. Um, No, it's true since the, I mean, we'll probably talk about it eventually, but you know, a little bit about the story of how it started is I was in college uh, when I brought up the idea of Pinole to my business professor. And one thing she told me since the day I started was you need to get uh, just make sales? How are you going to know what people are going to think? How are they going to react uh, without knowing if there's something? Because you need, like, for example, yourself, you didn't even know what pinole was. There's lots of first, second, third gen that don't know what Pinote is because it's something that's, I call it more old timer. It's been almost forgotten even in Mexico. And so mm-hmm. the very beginning, uh, when I was running pinole Blue out of my college dorm room, I was selling packs of Pinote with brown lunch bags and I was just going around the state of Kansas mostly. Uh, to all the carniceria, the panerias, the bike shops, you name it, just to get feedback on like, this is a sell. What do you think? And then that's how I got it. Uh, that's how we started. And then as it developed, you know, we started doing expos uh, with marathon expos. And I would sample and I would give out. Mm. And then I think that kind of all just evolved. With the business, um, it wasn't a food truck. It was actually my personal pickup truck. I would fill it full of tubs <laughs> of binota, just these bags, and we and I would drive. Uh, when I first started, I actually mapped out areas where there was meat p- packing plants in the in the Midwest. I was like, okay, there's mm. an advantage here because this is one thing I discovered in the early days. I was like, meat packing plants. You have mostly people from rural Mexico, so they know what Pinola is. Two right. Uh, the meatpacking plants are very rules. Oh, the towns where the meatpacking plants are very rules. So you're not going to have a big distributor going through if they even think about selling people on it, right? So I was like,
1: mm. and then
0: three, they're going to be mom and pop shops. So I was like, bingo, let's just try it. So I told you I could have worked for the U.S. Census at that time. I lo- I went to every little I rural was town. <laughs> <laughs> I was
1: shocked. Because so many people fail to understand how diverse Latinos are across the country. And I was like, Eddie, you could write a book about this, where I feel like um, perhaps some of our biggest leaders in the US don't have a grasp of how diverse they are. But you would if you drove a pickup truck through the United States and talk to these people.
0: I did, which it sounds like you did. I know. I I, should, I had a friend that told me the same thing. They're like, you should write stories about this because I've been to rural Nebraska, I've been to rural Iowa, I've been to rural Minnesota, I've been to St. I've been to Minneapolis, Minnesota. I've been down to Houston. I've literally hit the streets just selling Pinot, and I would have a flask. With atole in it, I would warm up the milk and I'd put the atole or atole mix in it with sample cups because even a lot of Mexican store owners didn't know what pinole was, but a lot of us could relate with atole. Mm-hmm. And you can ask a lot of my first customers are mm-hmm. like Eddie, yeah. I still remember when you walked in with a cup with a thing of atole and pinole, and that's how it started. And in Chicago, I told you that I did the same thing. I went, I've been down 26, I've been Little Village, Pilsen, Logan Square, because that's what we were telling people. And I was even amazed Chicago being a huge Hispanic population. Two, it's freaking cold as yeah. heck. And you guys probably drink a seven months out of the year, that you still couldn't we find binole even in these huge supermarkets. So that's where I built these relations. This is where I got the customers and this is where I, I got to understand. And like you said, that knowledge of what I learned just doing the uh, you know, face to face sale this and showing people and people trying it and telling me the memories it brought, you you can't buy that kind of knowledge, you know. And so uh, yeah. that was that was a a hard time and a blessing at the same time. I also slept in my truck in Walmart parking lots, lots of rural areas of America wow. too.
1: Yeah, no, no, and I, and I, I I'm, I'm just like consistently in awe of this story and I, I am curious though, because this is a podcast that originally was started to highlight Latinos and money and knowing how different Latinos are across the country, what are some of the things that you learned that surprised you from meeting people across the country that were business owners?
0: I learned a lot, but I think I was just amazed that I, just like my parents, how many Latinos came with that mindset, don't even speak English and they just made it work. That was like the, I mean, I was like, we're in the middle of nowhere, Iowa. Like, how do you guys, like? how do you even like set up? how do you do this? You know? And so that was the big thing of how overlooked it was. And then the other thing is, um, I think it's, that's that's one thing. And then the other thing is even in big cities, it showed me like, you know, you can see the differences. You can see the gentrification and people that, you know, that were struggling to get even like food deserts. It's, it was interesting to see like food deserts in small cities, big cities, but it was just crazy to see, you know, the different dynamics, even if you're in a rural area or an urban area. But, um, but like I said, that was the biggest thing with me um, with the money wise uh, with his, mostly Hispanic immigrants is how they've still made it work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, and there's so many stories within that, but I think in general, storytelling has been really successful on your platform and something you've done really well. Um, Like recently you had a whole um, real go viral uh, playing to the Barbie trend. Uh, You made pink tortillas. I heard that they sold out. You had a whole skit around it. Storytelling, Pinole Blue knows storytelling. (laughs) And so I want to talk to you about about how that's played a role in building your business how has it helped you um because i first spotted you on tiktok then you started leveraging instagram i think as well but how have you viewed storytelling and building your business and what has it helped you acquire in terms of whether it's sales clients investors attention question
0: what was, do you remember what was the first tiktok video if you, know, that you ran into
1: I feel like it was the one about the Raramuris was pretty close to the first, but I think it may may have been one where you're actually, it starts with the frame of you showing the product and then it dives into the story.
0: Got it. Got it. Well, (laughs) sorry, I'm asking. But so since day one, since the the day I told my professor this idea, she told me right away, she's like, Eddie if you tell the story right about your family ties and you will about the taromanas, what BNOR is all the things that will sell the product. She told me the story is an important part. I just thought she was mm-hmm. crazy. I was like, why does this Asian lady know about BNOR and corn? But yeah, that, but since she told mm-hmm. me since day one, um, we've, by the way, she's now my business partner and, uh, we're quite a team. We were just talking today that I'm kind of like the farmer and she's kind of like the weatherman, like, I do the tactical in the dirt stuff, and then she's overlooking and telling me what to look out for, what to strategize. But one thing is, um, the biggest thing where it came with the story time, storytelling Sorry, was when the pandemic hit. Um, I have to give kudos to my first business partner, Kyle Offit. If he listens to this, shout out to Kyle. Uh, he knew social media. He was good with marketing, and I still remember he told me, Eddie, we need to start a TikTok video. And you know, this was the early days of the pandemic. And I'm like, right. I was like, isn't TikTok only for like middle schoolers dancing? Why would we ever do something like that? He's like, no. He's like, everyone's using it. Wendy's, Chipotle. I'm like, okay. So what do we do? He's like, we're just going to record videos and tell people the story, how we started, what you're doing. And it blew up. That's, uh, That's the beginning of the Pinot Blue storytelling viral, I guess. We were just talking about my family, about the taromanas, like you said, um, about their running abilities. And then I think, you know, we were all going through a tough time and people seeing how this ancient ingredient's been around for a while. And then when they saw the tortillas getting made with the corn and the molinos going and you had so many old, because TikTok was for a younger generation, right? But then they would show Mm -hmm. their moms or their abuelitas and their tias. And then like, I would get all these comments and like, Oh my gosh, my mom said she hasn't had a tortilla like that since she left Mexico 20 years ago. And Oh my gosh, my abuelita loved your pinole. And that's where the tumble effect took place. And to be honest, I never thought I was a interesting storyteller. But my business partner, from a different perspective, was like, "No, Eddie, that's what people want to hear." And today, nowadays, when it comes to uh, business, the younger generation wants to know what's the story behind it. Why, what's what's your why? You know. And so mm-hmm. <clears throat> that has helped us tremendously uh, with the storytelling, like I said. And I think another big thing is when you. We'll, i know we'll get into this is when you don't have money you it really makes you become creative um even for yeah. because not only do we make bean products we also make cookies uh, we also make tortillas now as well um even the barbie video I, I saw the trend and everything and so many people were tagging me in these Barbie tacos, he coa tacos. And I'm like, okay, that's cool, whatever. But how would I even tie that in with my business? And then right away, I was like, oh, pink tortillas. Mm -hmm. I was at Mm -hmm. Walmart. I found two Barbie shirts for $9 a piece. I literally called my cousin, are you home? He said, yes. I was like, don't ask any questions. I'm going to come over and we're going to do a video. And then I stopped at my prima's house. I said, give me all the Barbie stuff you have, a wig, whatever you have. We threw it on together and we just recorded it. And that was another thing. We never had fancy uh recording or any recording uh equipment we all did all our phone all our videos have been with an iphone and that's what people have been amazed by
1: yeah and eddie i I do want to double click on that because you have bootstrapped your company now and i do want to address um that you were on shark tank but it is my understanding that you have not taken investment and so i'm curious as to why you have chosen this route and why bootstrap for so long
0: um My question for you is, why do you think people take investment, Leanne? To scale. That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, There is a lot of people, there is a lot of businesses out there that have.
1: Well, to scale, sorry, asterisk, to scale Mm. within a certain timeline. Okay. There seems to be a concept of time, right? And there's a time, the moment you take investment, now there's a time on when you need to return on that investment, right? So it's all time bound.
0: Got it. That was a good answer. Um, The reason I ask is I think we've been kind of drilled that that is the traditional route, right? To seek investment. If you want to scale, if you want to grow. And one thing that um, has been with us is also, there is a lot of companies out there that have done a phenomenal job, right? With just bootstrapping. And one thing with us, I think since the day it started, I mean, also not coming from a lot of money myself, you know, my parents are immigrants. My mom was a housekeeper and my dad works in road construction is i've noticed that when you don't have money it makes you very creative and you're not strapped um with you know with creativity and so um i think it also makes you very resourceful um like the barbie video we just talked about right and so that is why uh I, that's one thing i've i've been very fortunate you know think about it i've been Bootstrapping and all these crazy videos even landed me on Shark Tank. So that just tells you, you know, you don't have to go the traditional route. The things are possible. You can get noticed even uh, without, even with just bootstrapping.
1: And I'm curious, is is any part of it to do with the fact that you just don't want investors? Because I I have spoken with founders that say, hey, listen, it's for some people, it's not for us. Like we preferred to do it with the power of community crowdfunding or. Um, friends and family, but not owing investors. Is that is that your point of view, or is is it just, you know, really just sticking to the bootstrapping for now?
0: Um, you know, whoever told you that was, yeah, very reasonable. I mean, uh, taking in investment money is not just. Uh, and as sexy and as easy as it looks, <laughs> or may sound sometimes, uh, but that's the other thing is making sure it aligns with you and what we're thinking, what we see aligns with. You know, that blue in our business is bootstrapping it uh, where we're at today. Like I said, because I know for a fact that if I would have had more money or we would have had capital and everything. I probably would have never been this creative. I would have never done this kind of storytelling. Um, hell, maybe me and you would have never even crossed paths, to be honest with you. Uh, because, you know, this bootstrapping brought out a creativity in me. When your back's against the wall, you're amazed what what, you, what things you can come out with.
1: Yeah. And I, I want to talk to you about alignment. Um, because it sounds like a lot of the actions you take are... Are, are perhaps different than, than the norm. But I think that that's steered by these set of values that you have for yourself as a, as a person who is running a company and for your company. And was there a time when you sat down and you established these pillars, these values for the way that you lead and the way that you operate? Or was it more circumstantial? And as the circumstances arose, you you decided in real time, this is how I lead this is how I lead my company. Um, because these these are very valuable and important things that, that last through the trajectory of a company. Pivots will always happen, right? Like your customer base will tell you what they want and what they don't want. But so important is to have those core values and core pillars of your company. I'm just curious how you arrived at yours, um, not just for your company, but also the way that you choose to lead.
0: Yeah, uh, I would say definitely kind of like with experiences in time even our mission statement that we just finalized last year that pinole blue connects cultures through heritage ingredients while providing a taste of history like that took all of these years for me to be able to even say that you know we went from um, just being a food company of just pinole and trying to make protein mixes for athletes to now making the cookies and tortillas. And now we're using these heritage ingredients, you know, and at the same time we're doing storytelling, we're connecting people. I get to meet people like you. Um, so I think that as time went, you know, it built, it kind of brought you in with the pillars. And also I would say even after Shark Tank, it was one of the hardest thing I ever did in my life, but it was also a reality check for sure. That's when I really noticed that, it hit me. I was like, "Pinole blue. We're a very first of all, pinole is a very different product. A lot of people don't even know what it is. We're a very different company. We're using organic blue corn. We make everything in house. Um, you know, and then also so, and even my team is very different. We're very diverse. So I think once that finally got to me, I was that's when reality hit me of like, this is the way. We're very away from the traditional." And we need to kind of cancel out the noise of what you hear about traditional uh, knowledge. Right. And so, and I mean, and then they also, also believe in myself more in my gut, you know, I'm just like, yeah, I may look like a crazy mm. person making a Barbie video, but it's something that has got us this far as something that people like. And that is what we, um, and I've been able to be creative and do this all, all while bootstrapping. So I think it's kind of been like a, couple of events and, and experiences that yeah. got us to where we're at.
1: Yeah. I think that's good that you're so candid about that because I think so many people feel the pressure to have it all figured out on the first draft. Like this are going to be my pillars and this is what I'm going to stick to no matter what. Um, but it's true that experiences really do shape you. And you also mentioned something that I've heard from other founders, which is trusting your gut um, and being more confident in that. But I also feel like and this is more of like a softer material versus like hard business rules. Right. But like gut and feeling in your gut and knowing that that's the right way to lead and the right way to go. That's something that is cultivated. I feel like you're not, well, at least for me, I can speak from my experience. Like my, my gut and the strong feeling in my gut is, and listening to that guy is something that's been cultivated over time. And so I'm, like, when did you become aware that your gut was something to – your gut instinct was something to listen to and not just, you know, an idea that's, like, overhead you? Like, when did you know it was something you could trust and actually act on?
0: Yeah, I don't think there was, like, a aha moment, right? I think it was definitely some experiences because even, like, in the beginning days, when you're small, no one – cares right you're like you're out doing stuff like you don't have the big bankers talking to you no one wants to lend you money nothing right and as you get bigger i mean you heard the famous quote more money more problems right so as you get bigger you know and then you hit shark tank and then you have a lot of people trying to come at you like you know wanting to take advantage of you or this or that and i think a lot of those little things like that happened in the early days of who can I trust, who can I not trust, and that like that engraves in you with experiences. And then as you get bigger and you know it can be more of a costly error, right? Um, you you learn and you you you'll also see with your gut, you're able to read people better. You're able to understand like okay, I've done this before. Or what's the risk? And so I think that's what happens is with those experiences. And, and I would say. To this day, you know, there's still sometimes, yeah, my gut was off or something, but I've with the short five years I've been in business, I've gained a lot of experience where I can definitely know when to go with my gut.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that, that I think I find that really useful and really valuable. Um, You've mentioned your co-founder a couple of times, mm-hmm. Professor Kate. And I know it sounds like she's had quite the impact on the company and on the the early development and the continued development, like the, like you said, the weatherman, the the foresight of what's to come for the company, how it, it sounds like because she encouraged you, that's how you knew you could take the company to the next level. But how did you bring her into the fold? Right? <laughs> like what, what did, how did that relationship work? You know, like in terms of, hey, You could be an advisor versus now you're a part of the company and we're steering this ship together. How do you cultivate a relationship with someone where you see there's value and bring them into the fold into your team?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you asked this question because um, this is probably the craziest part of where it all comes together is, as I mentioned, I was in college. I was a senior in college, really deciding what I wanted to do. I I was a finance major. And Professor Kate, believe it or not, I met her four years before going to college because uh, I was on a full ride scholarship and she was on that scholarship committee when I was a senior year in high school. But we never talked until last until the until the until senior year when I finally got into this organization that she was the advisor for. Part of the organization is you have a class with her and part of the class, you have a one on one with her. And in that one-on-one, you know, I gave her, I was the only, the first thing she said is, Eddie, you're a senior. What the heck are you doing in here? And I told her, I was like, <laughs> I've been trying to get in this organization all four years. Um, and also I'm going to go work a finance job, whatever. And then she's like, okay, enough with the BS. Tell me what you really want to do. And I was like, okay, I got this idea. And I told her about Finale, uh, how my family ties. And I kid you not, by the time I walked from her office, back to my dorm, she sent me like a whole SWOT analysis, like it clicked on her and she could tell right away, I mean, she's an immigrant herself, that my biggest thing that was holding me back from starting this business was my fear of failure. I mean, when you're the son of immigrants, you know, my parents put me through all this and I was on a full ride scholarship. I was gonna graduate with finance. and, And you can only imagine the look on my parents' face when I told them, yeah, I'm dropping everything, to grind corn the rest of my life. My parents thought I was crazy. They, <laughs> they, my parents were like... It,
1: it, was there a moment, though, like where you where you can say, aren't you proud? Okay, you well,
0: know? so this... Is, Mice. Yeah, I know, I know. I told them, I was like, yeah, voy a ponerle maíz el resto de mi vida. And they're like, what? And they're like, estás loco? Te sientes bien? I mean, they... It didn't click very well. And so when Professor Kate told me, she's like, okay, what do you have to lose? And I was like, well, I need to go to Mexico, bring back... Uh, I need, to, I need to go to Mexico, bring the corn, buy a grinder, and she brought it all out. It was going to be $2,500 in a, in a weekend trip. So that Christmas break, I drove wow. to the border, brought back a thousand pounds of corn in the back of my pickup truck. I met my primo yeah. there in the border, put the corn in my truck, crossed La Frontera. And I drove all the way back to Is Kansas. this
1: the same pickup truck that drove you across the street?
0: <laughs> this was a different pickup <laughs> I just, truck.
1: I just wanna know. I know you're
0: okay. like, damn, that truck deserves deserves to be in a museum. It's a different one. It
1: deserves an award. But uh
0: I brought back and I literally started my parent I'd make it in my parents' garage and the distribution was my dorm room at Wichita State University. Mm. We were selling all this be everywhere. But anyways, so at that time after she I think she took me more secret. She even she admits now, she didn't take me serious. She didn't think I would do this, right? I mean, who in their bright mind would do this? And after I brought it back and I started and she told me to don't make sales, I went back to her because uh, the new venture competition was coming up for my university. And I asked her to be my, I was like, hey, like, would you mind being my advisor? Because you need an advisor, right? And she said, like, okay, mm. but under two circumstances, I only take first place and you better catch up with me. And I'm like, I'm like, holy shit, what I signed up for, right? <laughs> so the uh, way we went and uh, she was amazed, you know, with my work ethic and uh, we took first place thanks to her. Um, well, we helped too, right? right? But we did take first place and then I graduated and after graduating, I kind of kept her more just as an advisor, you know, like I'd be like, hey, like this is where I'm at, you know, help me set up with the CPA, help me do this. And things just evolved. That relationship just kept evolving. And um, I would say until right even before maybe, but I think Shark Tank is really when I asked her, I was like, hey, it would mean the world if you mm. went to Shark Tank with me. I mean, I was just like, you've been there since day one. You're technically a co-founder. And two, how many times have you, have you ever seen a story on Shark Tank where someone took their professor? So that's, like I mentioned back to Shark Tank, that's where really... Um, got us closer, really dove into the business. And now um, even before that, though, she was always, like I said, the, the weatherman and I was the farmer because another good example mm-hmm. is she saw the pandemic coming because um, her family's from Taiwan and she'd kind of seen, you know, what was going on in Asia. And she told me, she's like, Eddie, uh, if this happens, what are you going to do? What's your plan B? And this is actually a true story. And I looked at her and I was like, Kate, when is Sam's Club ever gonna run out of gloves or masks? I was like, you're crazy. Well, I went there a week later and they were out. They were yep. wiped out. And that's when I was like, oh, I should have taken you serious. <laughs> and yep. so that's yep. where I ordered all the gloves, the masks we can we stocked up on ingredients. And we were like one of the only tortillas that didn't close because we still had ingredients. And then also we were were selling food out of our parking lot just to stay alive. And so that's how, so just things like that, like I said, over the time is, you know, made us closer and built a relation. And, and then I think after Shark Tank, I was like, yo, like you are legit a co-founder. Like um, you've been with me since day one. Would you like to uh, be business partners? And And this is where we're at today.
1: That's incredible. And and, and and then that shows how organic the relationship was. But it did take you asking her directly. Um, and what a special moment to do it for Shark Tank.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew she was going to forget what I want because she's not a person that likes to be on camera or TV. And so when I told her that. She's like, okay, I'll do it.
1: I almost wanted to talk to you about food production, but I was like, there's so much value in the way that you run your business <laughs> and what we see on social media and the storytelling. So I'm like, let's focus on that because I talked to other CPG founders about food production. And I'm sure yours is very unique as well. But the last question that I leave all folks coming on the podcast with is your biggest money learning in building Pinole blue. And I think yours is going to differ so much because of the bootstrapping experience, but let's hear it. What, what would you say are your biggest money learnings in building this company?
0: So, um, there's two things I want to definitely say on this question. The first one is, I know I've said it before, but for real, when you have no money, when your backs against the wall, you turn very resourceful, and it makes you very creative. I can't even talk about. There's been some hard times, where you know, sleepless nights, and I'm like, "What the heck are we gonna do?" And then, uh, I myself don't think I'm that creative, but then some of the crazy ideas that have came to my mind that has made a success has been pretty, pretty impressive. And so that is one thing. Is I'm a true believer of the power of no money from selling food in the parking lot to sleeping in the truck to keeping things in house to even our studio kitchen. We just built out a studio kitchen, which I think you've seen. I built out the whole thing. I, I brought someone in. I was like, the only thing new in here is the griddle. I built the whole wall. I did the sheetrock and we painted. We did it all. It was an old sink and old everything. So I, that's that's the first lesson, the power of no money. The second thing is, to face my beautiful mother, that if she listens to this, is my mom has always told me, Eddie, I'll say it in Spanish, then I'll say it in English, is El chiste de la vida no es ganar dinero. El chiste de la vida es cómo administrar el dinero. And it's spot on. She's always told me, it's not so much of how much money you can make, anyone can make money, it's how you use your money.
1: Because that is exactly how you achieve the financial freedom to build a company like you're building. But also, like you said, it, it does it does inspire creativity. You have to get crafty with it. And that's clearly what you've done with Pinole Blue. So that that is solid advice. Uh, Eddie, thank you so much for coming on, sharing all of your wisdom, everything that you've learned in building Pinole Blue for the last couple of years. Um, Where can folks find you on social media now that I've hyped you up and talked so much about where you are on social?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, As you said, we are pretty active on social media. That has been a huge part of our success. But you can buy all our products online. We are mostly strong on... Sorry, we're mostly in e-commerce. You can go to www.binondiblu.com if you want to order any of our products. We even ship our tortillas. And uh, you can follow all our social media at pinole blue uh, pinoles, because it's the product we started with and it's always been blue because we make all our products with organic blue corn
1: amazing thank you eddie and can't wait to have some of those tortillas in the freezer gotta defrost them gracias
0: <laughs> thank you so much
1: thank you mijente for joining us this week on moneda moves before you go please make sure to hit follow on this podcast so you can receive new episodes right when they are released You can follow right now in the app you're using to listen to this podcast. Also, continue keeping cuentas and keeping tabs on our Latinx community and money moves via our free newsletter written by yours truly at monedamoves.substack.com. That's monedamoves.substack.com. I'll see you there. Hasta la próxima.